Welcome to the MandoCast, the Star Wars Reports podcast for discussing the latest episode of The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. I am your host, Michael Morris, and with me this week is Aaron Goins from Star Wars Bookworms and Thomas Harper from The Legal Geeks. What's going on, guys? Michael, you told me that you could bring me in to the show warm or you could bring me in cold. And I didn't like either of those options, but I'll take warm. <laughs> I thought you said that was your line. <laughs> I always feel like I'm pretty knowledgeable about Star Wars until I get into a room with Thomas Harper. So, <laughs> you know, it's a sickness, and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. <laughs> That's okay. I, you know, we go and hang out with you and Alex at uh, Dragon Con, and then we see Miles, and it's just like it don't it don't matter. Don't none of this matter. No. <laughs> No, we're in a we're few all, years. It's, it's Miles' world. We're just living in it. <laughs> and I guess uh, for a little uh, backstory for everyone else, Miles is eleven, right? Eleven or twelve? Yeah, seventh grade, I think. Eighth yeah, grade. and and he gives you guys a run for your money every year at the uh, the Dragon Con trivia. So it's it won't he's, be long. <laughs> he is very very good. He's like Cool Hand Luke too. He's like Han. After Han shoots Greedo in A New Hope, he's like that level of cool, calm, and collect. Yeah. <laughs> like, name the trash compactor number that Han, uh, Luke, Chewie, and Leia get stuck in on the Death Star, and he'll just rattle it off without breaking a sweat and then shrug at you like, what? Is there a hard question that you have? For <laughs> <laughs> Ask me in Huttese, and then I'll, <laughs> I'll actually have to think about it. <laughs> I did the Dragon Con trivia back, I don't know, it must have been like five or six years ago before there was like an entrance exam. Oh, back yeah. when they just kind of eliminated people real quick at the beginning, you know, they were just like have everybody come up on stage and they're like, all right, here's one question. And then you just kind of answer the questions real quick and they just eliminated people super fast. Yeah. I think I made it to like round three of the quick elimination and I was done. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this isn't for me. Like, I feel like I'm pretty knowledgeable about Star Wars and I know my stuff, but man... When it comes to like Star Wars trivia, there's just a next level that some of you guys have that I'm just like, no, nah, I'm I, I'm fine being in the crowd and just watching. Yeah, I, I refuse. I, I'm all in for the day where uh, Miles, who we've been talking about, takes on Daniel, who is the uh, who's been the showrunner of this Dragon Con trivia for a few years now. Gosh, he's he's been running it for a while, but he creates the entire entrance uh, exam and then all the questions for the finals and he's like a walking wikipedia yeah it's impressive most impressive yeah i i don't i don't even do it i'm i'm a bad test taker so <laughs> like i'm i'm the person who it's like oh well it could be this but that's what they want me to think and maybe this is a trick question I, I think that's what it comes down to is like in school i had too many teachers who were always like doing trick questions and now it's just completely made me gun shy of like all tests yeah star wars shouldn't stress you out you shouldn't have to have sweaty palms when dealing with star wars unless it's you know excited anticipation hey hey don't don't tell me how to live my life <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, all right, well, we're not here for, for uh, trivia and test taking. We, we're going to cover the, uh, ep or I'm sorry, I'm still not used to calling them chapters. Chapter 7 of The Mandalorian, The Reckoning, which I think this may be my favorite title. I don't know why. 
I've liked them all. I mean, they feel it, it's the spaghetti western feel from the moment the credits start to the finish. I'm just gobbling that up, and I've really liked. It's like I think the last episode title is my favorite, and then the new one comes, and <laughs> I have to justify replacing it very quickly. I like how the titles are short and to the point, and yeah. this one definitely fits the theme of the episode. Yeah. I don't know about you guys either, but I've gotten to the point now where they're, to, to your point, uh, they're descriptive enough and accurate enough that mm-hmm. you get a little bit of a chill running down your spine when you see it. Like, oh, the reckoning. Oh, that's that's probably not good. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do they release the titles ahead of time? No, I haven't seen a list. I haven't seen a leak. Yeah. Oh, so we have no idea what episode or chapter eight is going to be. Right. Not that I know of. Yeah, they typically because I'll I'll check uh, IMDb, and the most I've seen was that they had synopsises like two weeks ahead of time. But even that, the synopsises are are or is it synopsis? It doesn't matter. Point being, it's like one sentence. Or it's just like, oh, the Mandalorian is uh, heads back to turn in his bounty or to get paid or something like that. Like, that is, like, you didn't tell me anything. <laughs> I like that they're being super secretive, too, about the show because they're not even, you know, they're not giving us any kind of synopsis, like you said, for upcoming episodes. So we really don't know what to expect. Right. But they're not even telling us the names of certain planets up until, you know, we didn't even know mm-hmm. the name of the main planet for a while. You know, there's certain right. things that you're just kind of discovering as it goes. And it's a different than we've, you know, even with Rebels and Clone Wars, we always had, you know, preview clips and synopsis and kind of knew what was coming. We knew all the titles of the season episodes before the season even came out. So this is, I love the mystery surrounding the show. Yeah. And I, I remember watching Rogue One for the first time where you see, at least for most of the planets, sort of the the planet name superimposed. And I remember being jarred by that a little bit, but then getting used to it and really liking it. And then they don't show Mustafar and you're like, wait, something's broken. (laughs) Where's the name? But uh, with the Mandalorian, I agree with you, Aaron. It's like you're finding out through exposition in the story. And I really like that. Like we, we don't, we don't know Navarro, that planet's name until, was that episode five, episode six? It's just mentioned sort of in passing. Yeah. As he gets confronted. So I, I like that a lot. I feel, that feels like more natural, like how you would, if you were just dropped into the Star Wars universe, like to live in it, that's how you would find out. And by now we would have had, like for anything else, we would have had like the official guide to season <laughs> one. You know, true. Yeah. That we could be flipping through and seeing all the details of all the background characters and nothing like that. I wonder eventually if we will get it. It would be kind of cool to eventually get stuff like that. But The Lego um, sets would have spoiled yeah. everything. <laughs> That's true. And I it's it's funny because this on there's been this ongoing thread of discussion about Baby Yoda in particular or whatever you want, the child, uh, that people have sort of derided uh, Hasbro for not having all this product ready and I like I look at the situation I'm like how I can't think of a Star Wars movie where something hasn't been revealed by a product a toy a Lego usually a Lego set yeah it's, it's uh, always Lego. Leak way early and you know it's it's not the entire story but you're getting bits and pieces here all we had was I think the the ATST we knew was coming but not quite in what fashion and pretty much everything else that was out there was stuff that we saw in the short clips that they were releasing. 
But for them to keep a lid on Baby Yoda in particular, I think, like, A, it made the impact that much more for me, and B, um, it makes the anticipation for the product that much more. I didn't think we'd ever live in a time where it's like going back to 1977 when they had the little uh, early bird packaging sets where you couldn't buy the figure. You just had to buy the little coupon for it. Yeah. Now we just have pre-orders on Amazon. That's true. <laughs> Which is That's crazy. You get some like there there's some Etsy shops that are on there that are, that make little, you know, like I don't know, a cross stitch or a uh little baby Yoda or a shirt or something like that. And they all have waiting lists for their products. There's just such a huge demand. It's awesome. That's why you do like me and buy a 3D printer so that you can make all the baby Yodas you want. Dude, there are so many different files. I mean, you can get him eating a frog. You can get him holding a little uh, knob. Like, whatever you want. <laughs> I'm still looking for my IG-11 Black Series. Oh, I didn't yeah. know you needed one. I'll take care of you. Yeah? Yeah. Hook me up. Yeah. I, I'll I send you my address. You saw, you saw his stockpile that he showed. <laughs> Well, I Mike, was, I was so happy. worried about him, like after the first episode, because he was the character that I was so excited about. I love the IG series droids, mm-hmm. and I was so excited about this character. And he was in a lot of the marketing, and then at the end of episode one, he gets his head blown off. And I'm <laughs> like, no, surely not. Like, and then I kind of thought, oh, that's a, t-, you know, they're just tricking us, but he'll be back. And then you know, six episodes later, he's still not back. So I was really happy. Yeah, I mean, you you're gonna talk about a. Um you know them keeping stuff close to the vest that's one that they didn't because Taika Waititi was only um you know he he was only credited for that first episode they had him set for the director of of the the final episode but as far as actual acting credits he was only in that one so uh same thing with Nick Nolte you know so seeing uh Quill and uh, IG-11 back, I was like, oh, wow. Okay, like, I was completely shocked. I didn't think he was coming back. I, I thought he was dead. <laughs> it was an interesting kind of way about the season, too, because in the marketing, we saw all these big-name actors, and you're like, okay, you know, Cara Dune's going to be a big deal, or this character's going to be a big deal, and it's going to be in a lot of episodes, like IG-11, but then IG-11's only in the first episode, and then Cara Dune has her standalone episode. And, you know, you know quill is you know he kind of was in two episodes but really it was only in the one and so you're like oh we're just going to get one-offs you know each episode's going to have kind of this guest star type thing um but they're never going to really team up and then this episode comes along and it's like okay now we finally get to see a lot of these people on the screen at the same time yeah so the, the payoff is there which i really enjoyed seeing kind of all these actors together yep yeah i i think that's been really effective for me because you would easily run into a problem early on if if he just assembled this massive crew. A that kind of doesn't seem like what his character would do based on the way they've they've built him up. But B it it gives a lot less screen time for you to get used to to him and to Baby Yoda. And instead they've built that relationship so that you know by this episode you're really invested in the two of them. I mean it's like Space Dad and and Space Kid. And it feels a lot more natural with him assembling this crew in the end. And I like for me, I thought when the shot came up of Arvala Seven with him going back for Quill or Quill, um, I initially thought it was Tatooine. I thought he was going back uh, to to the docking bay there at Mos Eisley. I, I thought the exact same there. thing, Thomas. Yeah, that was the. And I, 
And I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, yeah. you know, happy that he was going back for Kuyo. It's kind of it would kind of have made sense too to expect him to go back to Tatooine because they still left a mystery there for us. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know who walked up to that body at the end. You know, I and so it's kind of like okay, we have to go back to Tatooine at some point because there's still that mystery to be revealed. Yeah, yeah, I would think. Do you guys have? I know, like Michael, you had a pretty strong suspicion as to who that guy was or who that person was. I mean, um, not totally. I thought you would say you were saying like grief. It was grief cargo, possibly because of the way the boots looked, or maybe I was talking to somebody else. No, no, uh, probably Matt rushing. I know it was me. Uh, you and Matt were were all discussing it. Um, so he was really thinking grief. I know the the big rumor was Boba Fett. Um, which again, this is this is why I don't do the trivia stuff. I was like, no, it's not Boba Fett. I'm like, he had spurs, and like Boba Fett has spurs. I'm like, they're more like like toe tacks, you know. <laughs> uh, and they're like, no, but they make the sound. I'm like, no, they don't. And they're like, go back and watch. I'm like, oh, yeah. Some people were saying Gideon, but we got Gideon in this episode. Yeah, and he didn't have spurs sounds either. So the problem with Fett is because of the aftermath trilogy you would have to have some exposition to sort of explain on screen. Like for people that haven't read the books, it would make sense because they'd be like, oh, Boba Fett just survived mm-hmm. the Sarlacc and crawled out and here he is doing cool stuff again. But in reality, the way the canon story went, he didn't come out of the Sarlacc, at least not initially. And there was another individual, uh, Cobb Vanth, just a, a random guy on Tatooine that happened to, to acquire the armor and started becoming a uh, a law enforcement type vigilante there on Tatooine. So that was covered in the books. I mean, you know, to bring Boba Fett back, you'd either have to retcon that, which doesn't seem like something they would do, or kind of explain that convoluted path that he took. Or maybe Boba Fett just survived and got some new armor. Yeah, well, because, I, I mean, and that's my thinking. I mean, not saying, and I mean, I've said it before. I'm I'm not that, like, as far as... Like, I'm not a huge Boba Fett fan. Like, I think he looks cool and everything, and, you know, it's fine, whatever. But I'm, you know, I'm not like, no, he has to live or whatever. But my reading from Aftermath, honestly, was that because they found the armor, and, you know, it's supposed to digest for a thousand years in the stomach, I'm like, well, then how did it get out? You know what I mean? How did the armor get out? So, and they talked about, like, it was acid pocked. So I thought, no, maybe he climbed out, but of course there's this like acid on the armor, and so he just like uh, chunked the armor at that point. But yeah, nonetheless, I, I don't know. I my honestly my now what I said that I would love, and it's it's not necessarily what I expect, but what I would love is that the person who uh, came over, uh, not Krennic, um, Finnick, right? Is that her name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, Finnick. Sure. Um, was actually Fennec. And where we've seen, uh, for instance, oh gosh, I can't think of her name right now, the bounty hunter from Attack of the Clones. Um, they can change. Zam Wessel. Yeah, Zam. So Zam Wessel can sort of, um, you know, she can sort of shapeshift. I thought, well, it'd be kind of cool if we could see like an assassin who that's part of like what makes her a good assassin is that she sort of has this like multiplicity type power. That would be really interesting. Yeah. So not I saying that they I, do it, all but of I th- those I think are possible because yeah. like Filoni and the Clone Wars had a lot with changelings. Mm-hmm. Um, 
sort of like Zam Wessels, the the Claudite species. But he also spent a lot of time with Boba Fett and developing his character. So I think like the doors are all open there. Yeah, and they've readily shown that they're totally cool with walking through those. I think if they're looking for the biggest fan reaction, obviously Fett's the way to go. Maybe Fett. I kind of I'm holding out hope Fett shows up in this series at some point. But I also think that Lucasfilm, you know, maybe doesn't want to touch Fett you know, for a TV series, maybe they're saving him for something else. But, and the idea that he survived the Sarlacc pit has always been very controversial. Um, so I like Boba Fett as a character. I've always thought he was really cool. I would love for him to show up in this, in the show. I'm not counting on it. He's this, you know, that being who this is, but it would be cool. I'd be okay with it. And the thing with aftermath, honestly, I think that, you know, when you have somebody like, Favreau and you have in Filoni involved. If they want to retcon that, that's not going to be a very long conversation. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. But the door's left open, Michael. You made a good point that it's not conclusive at all in the book. And I think Chuck Wendig, the author, did that really intentionally because why like why would he be the guy to come and just slam dunk on Boba Fett fans and be like, "No, what? He is dead." <laughs> I think you'd make a great I don't know how how long Moff Gideon is going to last in the story, but I think he'd make a great sort of uh, shadow villain for season two. Mm-hmm. Sort of a foil to Mando. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of, of ways that they can go with it, like you said. So I, I have no idea there. But um, I do like, of course, you know, we, we talked about Cara Dune coming back in this episode. And I love that we essentially see her in a um, Texas bull rope match with a Zabrak. <laughs> <laughs> How about the aliens that they're doing in this series? It's it's awesome to me that they're not shying away from some of these really familiar alien species from all the movies, and we're getting like OT, you know, characters. We're getting Zabrak now. Like that's such a cool, and they look so good. The makeup jobs mm-hmm. are just so spot on. We even got a, uh, what was it, uh, oh, why am I blanking on the species name, Nikto. We got like the green Nikto, not just the typical yeah. orange. We even right. got the green one. So like they're really, they're really giving us everything. And they, I would say that the makeup or the prosthetics and everything they're using for the alien characters in this show is some of the best I've seen, even if you're including the movies. Yeah. Oh, totally. Berg, last episode, the Deveronian, I was blown away. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I I I love it so much. I I was a big fan of uh, even Zion. I uh, and then of course her her brother. I I love that. Uh, you know, sort of the the more vibrant colors and it, you know actually seeing a live action purple uh, Twi'lek I thought was really cool instead of just the typical blue or green or fleshy color. Yeah, I yeah. thought they did pretty well with the Twi'leks. The one complaint I would have is the head tails still just don't seem quite right. Maybe just because I'm so used to seeing Hera in animation and how they kind of really subtle movements and oh, yeah. um, whereas the, these almost just kind of like bouncy foam. Um, so I think that there's a little bit, um, you know, it kind of takes you back a little bit with with the Twi'leks. And this is the first time we've seen Twi'leks kind of in action. In, in like in live action, but also moving quickly and kind of, you know, kind of moving around so quickly like that. 
um, as opposed to just like Bib Fortuna standing next to Jabba Jabba the Hut. He's using a Jabba <laughs> mind track. You tra- yeah. <laughs> now I just Jabba, Jabba, Jabba Fett is I who was Jabba coming Fett, up on yeah. <laughs> Jabba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> he he didn't seem like he was slithering up, but it, that was a slither. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I will tell you, I really like in this episode, it, it has it, it cranks up the uh, the intrigue about what the hell is happening in the larger galaxy. Uh, you hear you've heard a little bit about the New Republic and, and seen a little bit of the Imperial Remnant at this point. But this really turns it up to 11. Uh, I mean, you hear uh We'll talk a little bit about the New Republic and, and you know what, what's happening with Salvage generally when he's talking about recovering IG-11. But then really toward the end, uh, when Gideon shows up, you see the Empire still has some muscle. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. And, I mean, even some of the, the backstory, you know, with Quill, uh, you know, finding out that he was an Imperial. And it's it's interesting how he's sort of the more honorable one where Kara, you know, she even mentions where he's like, I thought you were a veteran. She's like, ah, I've been a lot of things since most of which carry a death sentence, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I thought it was interesting how they sort of flipped that. You would expect, Oh, the, the Imperial would be the one that's a little more, you know, uh, you know, have a, a, a little less, uh, or I guess a little more moral ambiguity. And then the, um, the Imperial, nah, I've just flipped those. You get what I'm mm-hmm. saying. <laughs> Was she, what was she again? What was her role? She was a jumper? Or what, uh, what were they calling her? She was a shock trooper. So she was uh, like one of the, it, not to bring up the Aftermath series again, but the character in there, John Burrell. So they're like yes. uh, true special forces troopers that get dropped in from high altitudes into combat. Okay. And they knew based on her tattoo on the one arm. Um, which I thought was funny. They kept telling her to cover that <laughs> tattoo up, but they didn't care about the one on her face. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the rebel logo. Which, well, I, I which think she makes did me wonder about the tattoo. It looked like she kind of like smeared it a little bit with something. Uh, uh, I didn't yeah, notice so. that. So you can still kind of see it, but it doesn't look. I mean, maybe I'm just. I don't know, but to you me, get a smudge on your screen. Yeah, <laughs> I need to clean it. Well, it's funny because like the like you're. To your point, Aaron, the the Rebel Starbird logo isn't offensive, but this just tattoo around her arm of some bars is. And it makes me wonder, like, A, are each of those bars, like, is each one of those a dead Imperial officer or something like that? Is that why it's offensive? Or did the, the jump troopers get sort of a notorious reputation for their behavior in combat, like they're doing dirty stuff? would make sense based on John. I think he was kind of that way, right? Yeah, yeah. He was kind of the muscle and kind of a rough dude, so maybe that's kind of the type for that. Um, So the Empire at this point, like, we've already had the Empire being defeated. Battle of Jakku is in the past. We're like, what, four years, five years out from Battle of Jakku? Yeah, right Um, around there. So... So it is interesting that there's still the, and we know the first order obviously is going to, you know, become a thing, you know, and they're developing. But at this point, it is kind of like an empty space, and not really sure, you know, imperial wise, kind of what's going on. Like it is, it's they're still calling him Moff, you know, so he's still got a title. So what is he the Moff of? Like, is there, 
is there still something that considers themselves the empire or is this just pockets of imperial remnants that are pretending to be the empire yeah and they haven't i like that they haven't gone into detail to explain every little bit of that uh in the outside materials right after Jakku, they sign the peace treaty that that ends the war and it interestingly it doesn't completely disband the empire so it's not like you know it's it's completely abolished and totally goes away they actually draw sort of a rope around some of the the core and inner worlds minus coruscant and the imperial remnant is is left there they're mostly disarmed it's not like they're cruising around there with star destroyers and stuff but they're relegated you know i think the thinking was we can't defeat every last imperial i mean that would take decades to to do so let's strike a compromise defang them contain them and so what we're seeing here is clearly folks that are outside those bounds like just operating on their own and i the the difference between the client and gideon is fascinating because it's like to me just visually uh You've got the client and his dirty ass stormtroopers that that are clearly sort of at their wits end, and then Gideon rolls up with polished death troopers and stormtroopers that look like they came right off of a star destroyer and a cool tie fighter. Yeah, cool tie fighter. Is that like that's not typical, right? Like tie fighters don't all do that. No, I don't think we've seen. We definitely haven't seen it on screen. I don't know about in other materials if we've seen one like that. I just kind of imagine it's just a feature that they've just not used. I mean, I don't know, but that that was just my thinking. I was like, oh, that that probably makes like way more sense, you know, if you're having to land someplace that's not as um uh, you know, flush or whatever and you know, easier to use the landing gear or whatever, but if you're needing to uh dock quickly in a um like a star destroyer, then just leave the wings up. I don't know, man. If if you want to make a really cool dramatic entrance, that's the feature you go with. <laughs> it looks right. like a custom job to me. He took that to a custom shop. That's right. Like, I, need, I need my wings to fold. He's like, do that. Get my tie. Chop chop the tie, or you know, chop the the pod a little bit. I'm like, <laughs> got, like a neon undercarriage, like imperial red. Well, well, that's what they did to the. Um, they did to the the uh, ATST. That's what I was. I was like, yeah. you know, it's like the, those red lights. I just imagine that was kind of like the like the neon lights that you know, like the street racers use and stuff. They're just like, oh, this will look cool. Let's put this in the cockpit. <laughs> you know what I really really liked uh, the the one thing that really gave me uh, like giddy chills during the episode was when the Imperial troop transport, the little hovercraft. Oh yeah, well, yeah. We've seen it in Rebels, and Rebels took it from you know a, a OT era toy that that Kenner produced and made it and brought it into canon. But seeing it on screen for real, even my wife was like, "Oh damn, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that before." <laughs> That's right, <laughs> Dave Filoni making your toys canon. Yeah, well, that's actually not Dave. It'd be I guess it'd be Deborah Chow on this one. So I think Dave's still an executive producer, yeah, right? So he's yeah, got to be still, involved in all this stuff. He still he still does. Uh, I'm I'm sure he's still very much involved. But man, I gotta say, I love Deborah Chow's directing. I am I, my favorite episode um, has been episode three, 
this one actually is right there with it. Like I, I, you know, up, up until this episode, I'm like, yep, I can say episode three is my favorite. And then after that, they're all just competing. Like I love them all, but that's when it gets hard. Um, but I really like some of the stuff she does, even like small stuff. Cause, um, which I, you know, I, I've said this only to, to a few people, uh, because I, I don't want to be like negative on something that I just really enjoy as much as the Mandalorian. But, one of my small complaints on episode four was I felt like Cara Dune was a little stiff. Like she seemed a little uncomfortable sometimes, you know? And I was like, well, you know, like I saw her, um, Gina Carano in Deadpool and I didn't think she was really that way. Um, but she just seems just, just, I mean, not bad, but just like a little uncomfortable. Um, you know, she's like almost smiling when she's telling her backstory, um, and then she kind of has like, uh, she like drink chugs her, her drink real quick and then walks like, you know, like she's trying to hit her, her mark or whatever. And I was just like, eh, it seemed a little, you know, whatever. But this time, not only did she seem a lot more relaxed and, um, you know, like way more comfortable. Um, she was even doing stuff that I really enjoyed, like when they're doing the, um, they're talking and she like first thing to just sort of kind of. Uh, I guess like strut or whatever. She kind of like throws her leg over the blurg. I was like, that's awesome. I love that right there. Cause I, I feel like that, that had to have been a, a director note, you know, be like, Hey, why don't you do this right here? You know? And I just, I, I was like, that's perfect to me. That, that gives you a lot about the character and, and without her even having to say anything. Yeah. I picked up on that exact movement as well. And it was, yeah, it's so effective. It's such a small thing. A lot of people might not even have noticed it, but it's just like an effective way of, of representing her personality and her confidence. Yeah. Like in that situation, she was just kind of like, all right, what's this all about? You know, kind of just got comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love the pure joy on her face when Mando kicks open the weapons locker on the Razor Crest and he's like, <laughs> pick one. Yeah, and, and he immediately grabs the thermal detonator and like shakes it to her ear. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'll take this. Yeah, he tells her to pick one. She did not pick one. She picked yeah. multiple. You know, and it's like I was even I'm like, how much attention is she paying? Because he's he's sitting there, you know, going over the plan and everything, and she's like picks up a blaster and she's looking at it, you know, and everything. <laughs> it's like that scene in Terminator Two where they kick open the weapons locker underground and he goes and immediately grabs the minigun. Like she ends up with the biggest heavy laser cannon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was such a fun scene. Um, before that though, there's one, the one, uh, elephant in the room, baby Yoda is a baby Yoda or the child is a dirty, rotten cheater. <laughs> That's, I like that way of looking at it, that it's not that he was trying to protect Mando. He was trying to help him. win. <laughs> That's the one I, I swear. That's what it was. I, I think initially he's cause he start with, he was, it was the hand. You know, yeah. and he's like, nah, screw this. <laughs> like, force choke. I was like, whoa, whoa, too far. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't expecting a force choke to come out of Baby Yoda. That was an interesting choice there. I was like, well, I guess they're trying to show the potential of like, hey, this is a force user, but the force can be used in many different ways. Right. Um, not necessarily, you know, good guy potential for, you know, there's always the, the possibility of a character like this going dark, too. I just yeah. love that little angry look on his face. Like, their ability to capture that with the puppet. Right. It's just phenomenal. Yeah, it's it's great. And, I mean, this this episode probably featured the least Baby Yoda, I would think. or Probably the most important moments for him. I mean, yeah. the force joke, I guess, being one, but then healing grief right. after that 
that attack at the campsite that was that still has me scratching my head and and kind of trying to figure that one out um yeah that we've never seen that right like we've never no. we've seen it in, in we've seen it in like games and stuff legends i know i don't know if in, anywhere in canon we've seen force healing but no we've definitely never seen it live action so that was like okay now we know i remember like Back in the Outlander comics, or the the old 1999 Coyote Mundy on Tatooine, I don't know if you remember, but there was a scene where he had a broken bone sticking out of his arm, and he had to like heal it. And I remember kind of that scene where he's, you know, he basically does what Baby Yoda does and kind of puts himself back together. Um, and I thought that was an interesting thing to bring into canon. You know, not only did it heal. But it like completely healed, and I guess got rid of the poison too. Like his skin yeah. was like nothing happened to it. Yeah, yeah. it was amazing, and it, it's funny because you go back. We've seen that even the the Jedi Council didn't have, uh, at least from what we've seen, anybody with that power because they had a a medical area. They had a doctor, a Jedi doctor, but a doctor and medical droids that were uh, part of the Jedi Council or the part of the Jedi Temple. Uh, you see that in the. The, what would have been season six of the Clone Wars when Yoda goes to to get into that deep Force trance? You know they've got a back to tank and all that stuff there. So it's not like they just go to the doctor and and Force heal <laughs> real quick. So I thought that was a a pretty phenomenal little nugget that gets kind of stuck in there and then paved over with all the other crazy stuff that happens after it. Well, just think if they would have had Baby Yoda on hand, all of Star Wars would be different if Padme hadn't died. <laughs> That's true. He just like very cutely holds his hand up and he's like, Oh no, she's still alive. <laughs> and they're like and then Darth Vader's like, What? No, you tricked me. <laughs> now I'll throw you over the uh the ledge and <laughs> I'll be a good guy right now and I won't uh blow up Alderan. Totally <laughs> different series at that point. <laughs> Instead of the the whole scene at the end of Revenge of the Sith when he's got all those droids and he's painfully getting rebuilt, you just see Sidious like holding baby Yoda over him going piece by piece <laughs> and healing him. You're good again. It's, it's all good. Totally different series at that point. <laughs> what did you guys think about like grief? Like his whole deal from the beginning and everything like that? I like that they've I like that they've kept him around and I and I saw a question that got posed earlier, like, does grief owe Baby Yoda a life debt now? Are they going to become, like, partners where he has to be the, you know, the, the big gun, the muscle that walks around with him and, and they protect each other? Um, I like that he's, he was the vehicle for all this to, to get set in motion, because otherwise it wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense for Mando to just randomly come back uh, to, to the planet there. I don't think he had any intention but for that hollow recording of, of coming back and confronting the, the client. Um, and I like that he sort of makes that moral choice there as they're kind of marching back to town and decides to, to shoot the bounty hunters that were going to betray him. Right. I like that sort of moral switch. Yeah. That, and these bounty hunters definitely have a soft spot for alien kids. Cause like, you know, <laughs> even Mando kind of, you know, I mean, he basically got himself kicked out of the guild for this kid. And then now you have grief who's, you know, kind of doing something similar where he's going against what he was going to do. I mean, he was ready to completely double cross them. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, it's interesting how quickly I wonder if, if baby Yoda's using a little bit of a force, um, you know, kind of 
mind trick a little bit there, trying to convince these people to help them out. Yeah. I wouldn't put it past him to, to still have a plan up his sleeve that, uh, you know, he's, he's seen that this creature is probably more, because it, it starts out before he gets healed and he just assumes that this is, that baby Yoda is going to a zoo, like a, a fancy zoo. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. What do you say? Uh, something Which is awesome. A that, like, some ex imperial is just like running a crazy zoo, like with a raftar <laughs> and like a baby Yoda. And then you go to the Rancor exhibit. But then he, I, you know, arguably he sees that this, this little creature has a crazy power. And a guy like Grief, I think, looks at stuff very transactionally in some ways. And, you know, I, I wouldn't put it past him to have a little bit more up his sleeve to try to capitalize on this situation. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I was thinking even, you know, that he may be sort of like a Hondo Anaka type character. Yeah. yeah. Where, you know... That's a good comparison. Yeah, he's, he's like, oh, you know, like, okay, fine. Like, I'll be the good guy. You know, today I happen to like kids. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, he's definitely not to be trusted. Yeah. Even though he he's helped him out at this point. Uh, but he's definitely not to be trusted. Yeah, um, but I mean that was because I was like from the beginning I was like this is a trap, like <laughs> this is this has trap written all over it, you know. Um, it might as well be like breaking up. He's like, come back, trap, and uh, we'll work everything out, trap. I'm like <laughs> just like every, I'm just hearing it the entire time. But the thing is, I think that you know Mando, even though he kind of expects it's a trap, he's like, yeah, but there's really not any other choice. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, he's he's kind of facing the choice between continuing to get hunted uh, by potentially very, you know, increasingly capable hunters or go try to cut the snake off at the head. Right. Uh, and I just love that he, he buys <laughs> Grief's, like, really, really shoddy intel that Hey, there's not too many. He travels with a fire team. There's no more than four stormtroopers. Don't worry about it. You guys will be yeah. good to go. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out to be like an entire battalion. Right. He's like, well, no, there's only four there. He's like, there's more out here. It's like, yeah. But I mean, obviously, he he trusted enough that he actually goes in. So, uh, you know, I, th- that was the thing is I'm like, yeah, I don't think he's expecting everything to go sideways like this so yeah i think things are bad but at least it wasn't like he's in on it you know he, yeah. he's just as surprised when, when once they go in uh first of all i love the moment where the scout trooper tries to buy his helmet for 20 credits <laughs> which I doesn't really seem that like a lot lived. that was an awesome moment because didn't he What's get that? how much did mando get paid for like have do we have a, a comparison for money like um, to know how much 20 credits would be? I don't know. I like to think that he just offered him $20 for a best car helmet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> what I was kind of thinking. I'm like, that seems really low. Or, I mean, m- maybe it's more, but, like, I don't think he offered him more than 100 bucks. like, you know, translating, like, to, to American dollars. Like, there's yeah. no way. <laughs> well, it was just, like, it. I, I just thought of the situation, like, the, the biker scout is, like, the average person that comes to a yard sale, like, oh, best I can do is a nickel on this. <laughs> like, like, it's a Blu-ray like, player, fool. Yeah, that's an Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a dime. I'll give you that. Right, right. 
but yeah, but then, you know, we go inside the bar and something about Warner Herzog is just like captivating. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's the way, you know, he takes a hundred words to say one thing and they're all like very eloquent and you want to listen to all of them or just his presence on screen. I don't know. But that's that scene was delightful and like really stressful all at once. He's so like the even the words he chooses, like instead of saying, can I get you a drink? It's like. Can I interest you in a libation or whatever? Yeah. However, he said it. You know, he can't even. He can't say anything normal. I need forty syllable, syllables to get it out. <laughs> well, I, and I feel like he's like he rehearses it. Not not Herzog, but like the client. I feel like he he rehearses what he's going to say before he does it, um, because everything you know, he, like he will even work in like some of the same things. That he said prior, you know, to kind of keep coming back on these themes and stuff. And it's like, what fool? Like, okay, you caught me, whatever. Like, what's with the big speech? Yeah. Well, I I think what's what's most effective is you you know that he's angry, but mm-hmm. he doesn't have to, to threaten violence or, uh, you know, curse and spit rage to, to really send that message across like for him it's enough to constantly remind mando that all of his people died and the empire is the one that did it and then here to just twist the knife a little more he's like you guys did this to yourselves yeah we were trying to bring greatness to your your planet and yet you resisted and uh, you know it's your fault for what happened to you and look what you could have gained had you not done that right I think it's been clear up to this point that there was some qu- question about what exactly the purge was. I had somebody that, that I was talking to and, and they posited that maybe the purge was not necessarily a massacre of the Mandalorians, but maybe it was the, uh, the total seizure of all the Beskar and, you know, they took everybody's armor and if, like effectively that was a massacre because the Beskar is so important. But I think it's clear from the last couple episodes that it was, it was a massacre, massacre, <laughs> like the kind where people get killed, uh, based on the way they've talked about it. And we don't know a lot about that, right? Like we don't. No. They're dropping information on us that we haven't heard before at this yeah, point. Yeah, that's true. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing for the, the Mandalorians because we've seen so many versions of the Mandalorians, you know, across Legends and the New Canon and Rebels kind of did their thing. Or, or Well, Rebel, Rebels had Sabine, but then we had, you know, Clone Wars, which kind of did the whole pacifist, you know, side where everyone was kind of up in arms about that. And there's the offshoot of the, the ones that are actually the warriors, but they're trying to bring back the warrior ways. Now they're this clan that's almost like trying to survive and almost like nomads, which almost harkens back to the legend stuff. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a really, the, the Mandalorians have been told to us in so many ways, but there's always this, t- this thread that kind mm-hmm. of all fits together. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've really enjoyed how they've, they've done that uh, through the entire thing. Cause you know, I, I was actually one of the, the people who was like, Oh, pacifist Mandalorians. Well, that's interesting. Like, I, you know, I'm curious what's going on here. So, um, yeah, I, I like to see the, you know, the change and evolution of them through time. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I don't understand. Like they, they can't, uh, take their helmets off, but we've seen that, you know, back in, in rebels they did. And I'm like, yeah, but in rebels, they were even different from the clone wars. I'm like this, it's very likely, you know, it's been, 
what, like five years or, or five, seven years since uh, Rebels ended? Like, we ha- we have no idea uh, that this may be like a post-purge uh, initiative or something where they're like, you know what? No, we're, we're going to be proud of who we are. We're going to wear the helmet. This is the way now. Right. wasn't always the way. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're, they're Orthodox Mandalorians. Right. <laughs> they're uh, Ashkenazi Mandalorians. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's great about this. I, I think that, to me, I, when, uh, when I think about like what Star Wars is, the fact that we don't have these answers and we can sit here and debate you know, what, what all of this might mean because it hasn't just been revealed to us or given to us in like a guidebook. Like that's, what's awesome. Cause like my memories, my earliest memories of watching star Wars, it was all questions. Like you're looking at the screen and trying to figure out what it is you're looking at. Like mm-hmm. what's that alien over there in the cantina? You know, what, what are the, those stormtroopers talking about when, when they say that, that bit of lingo. And I think that's what the Mandalorian has really, really captured. Well, it, it's like sprinkling in these bits of connection to the rest of the galaxy that's been built, but not just spoon feeding it to us. Yeah. And I, I love all the little, um, you know, the little things where you're like, wait, is this new? Is this something that I should, I should know? <laughs> yeah. or, you know, like when uh, grief calls him a little bog wing, uh, like, like you guys would be the ones to know, like, was that, is that something that's been used before? Or is that a new term? It sounds really familiar. I kind of took it as like the Star Wars word for goblin. <laughs> like just saying it a little different, you know, Bogwin, you know, but it's like, okay, he just called him a little goblin. But yeah, you have to, you have to Wikipedia that one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Okay. So I actually, I just pulled it up. So it is. Okay. Is it, yeah. Uh, so uh, there's actually. On, ta- on, on uh, Dagobah, it would be my guess. Uh, Actually looks like Naboo. Oh, Naboo and Dagobah. Oh, you know what? I actually have one. It's uh. <laughs> On my, that's funny. I'm like, actually, have an action figure of this. It's the little thing on the, you know, the little planets that they did back in uh, the Power of the Force 2 with Dagobah, where you open it up and. Yeah. uh, Yeah, hold on. Listeners aren't going to know, but I can at least show you guys. (laughs) As Michael goes into his extensive collection. Uh, There we go, Bogwing. There's a Bogwing. Look at that. So I was like, well, holy crap. I. Guess That's impressive that you knew exactly where that was. It <laughs> well, took you less than ten seconds. Well, I had I went to where the other three were, and I was like, "Oh wait, nope, this one's separate." <laughs> so yeah, there we go. So yeah, so something they used before. I, I was even wondering if you know the creatures that attack them, if those might be bog wings, but um, apparently that's that's something different. Did they call it something? What did they call it? No, I think they just said flying creature in the in the yeah. episode. Yeah. They might not have known. Those things were gnarly. I don't know like what they were. Night dragons. That kind of reminded me of like something I would have seen in Game of Thrones. You know what? It, I was getting um, like pitch black vibes. Oh, yeah. Like the, the old Vin Diesel movie, like where they're all, you know, it's like, oh, you can't go outside of the light because then they'll, they'll eat you or whatever. That's what it was reminding me of. Yeah. Uh, my favorite part of that whole attack was, was them going after the, the blurgs. Like that, yeah. that put a real fine point on how dangerous those things were. Oh, yeah. And like poor poor Quill is like, No <laughs> He's like yeah, he's like uh, Yeah, what did he say? Something like uh he's like, Don't you touch her or something like that, you know, like he loves these blurgs. 
Um, which, I mean, honestly, because I was like, really? The blurg? You know, and even Manda goes, blurgs? And he's like, I've spoken. You know, but then it makes a really nice uh, effect when you see the Razor Crest land and then three blurgs just walk out one by one and you're like, all right, like, <laughs> you know, this looks like you don't want to mess with them. Like they've got some backup. They actually made sense as mounts too. When they first introduced them, I was kind of like, oh, this is an interesting choice. But then when you see the terrain they had to go over um, when they were going to find the child, they were going through all that cracked kind of terrain where there's all these like, you know, little cracks they had to jump over, which if you had something that was more like a horse or something that had a typical gate, that wouldn't have been possible for them to go across. So it was kind of like, yeah, it made sense for the anatomy of these creatures and kind of how they work. Um, and they didn't just, just look weird. And they'd been, I mean, they were in Clone Wars, right? Is that where we first saw them? Yeah. Yeah, we no. saw the Twi'leks used them extensively. They yeah, were first so, but from yeah, when, the uh, Ewok. Them, what'd you say? The uh, Caravan of Courage. That's where they first came from. That's true. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Way Look back. at that. Yeah. <laughs> deep, yeah. deep cut there. Yeah. Wow. But it's good. Like, to your point, Aaron, the there's that juxtaposition at the end where you, you just as an audience member want Quill to get back to the ship, but the blur's not quite fast <laughs> enough to get him. Oh. There. You got these speeder bikes that are bearing down on him and it's it just shot so well to really, while Moff Gideon's giving his little speech in the background, it really like, cranks up the, the intensity, which is it, ironic because the, there is actually a canon book about different creatures and the there's a little insert about blurgs, and one of the things that it says about blurgs is they can run as fast as a speeder bike. <laughs> which I mean, <laughs> which is so ironic that that's what kind of ran them down. Right. And I don't know if that's just a complete coincidence, or if that's something that like Filoni purposely put in there because he just knew that that was a fact about them, and was like, well, let me uh, let me take a like take a a nod to that fun fact that, you know, they're not quite as fast as a speeder bike. Well, yeah. well, hold on. It was faster than speeder bike, just not the, the blaster bolt that was coming after. True. <laughs> you know? true. This is true. The shot yeah. we didn't see fired. That's right. <laughs> Which was so heartbreaking. Um, I, because they, they, yeah, exactly. They don't show you the shot or anything. Like you definitely miss that little bit of time. And you're thinking like, oh no, we have time. Like, like it's gonna be fine. And then it's just like, nope, the comms laying on the ground. But I'm like, wait, why is Baby Yoda on the ground? What's, why is the comm like, what, why is Quill on the ground? Why is smoke coming? No! <laughs> you know? if there was any character other than Baby Yoda that you would not want to see die. You know, it's Quill. Like he's he's like the most you know, honorable character that they've introduced. He's, yeah. you know, he's only been helpful. There's nothing bad about this guy. And then they, yeah, that's such a bad way for him to go. And I was kind of expecting like IG 11 to come popping out, you know, of the ship or something. Right. Like kind of, you know, save the day. Yeah. I, I have a feeling that his programming, his reprogramming is about to kick in next week. <laughs> he's going to serve them what, so much yeah. tea. <laughs> it's an interesting place to leave us because there's only one episode left mm -hmm. and this episode is a big cliffhanger 
Yep. So it kind of has, you know, we know we're going to be coming right back to the same location, right? They're not going to, you know, they're not going to finish out this, what's going on here. Um, and we know that there's a big cliffhanger they left us with mm-hmm. on Tatooine. So they can't, I don't know, I don't, maybe I'll be, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think they can wrap both of those things up in one episode. So we might be waiting on some of these answers until next season. Yeah. yeah. Well, or it may be a situation where, um, they it's basically uh uh it's the old marvel trick of giving you the the partial uh first appearance and then the full first appearance you know so it's like whoever this character is shows up there at the very end and you actually see their face and it's like all right well you'll see the rest of this in season two it's gonna be a long however it ends it's gonna be a long whatever number of months i really hope that they premiere it at celebration (laughs) so i don't have to wait quite as long yeah i will i will knife fight my way into that panel (laughs) if i have to yeah they do the lottery thing again yeah like come on please that's a long 10 11 months to wait assuming it comes back in november of 2020 yeah. yeah, that is that is true. Yeah, that's a really long. That's the bad thing about. I like these short form, you know, kind of streaming service seasons, where they're only like eight, ten episodes, because I think they can really compact the story and make it all matter. Yeah. But the bad side of it is once your eight episodes are over, you have a long time to wait for the next thing. But at and least they spaced they them don't out. Even come back in a year. Sometimes I wait longer than that. Yeah. But at least they spaced them out. They could have dropped them all. We could have binged it in like a week and then we've got to wait even longer. Yeah. I, I, looking back on this season, I was glad that initially they made the decision not to drop them all at once and seeing how it's played out seven episodes in, I, that it just reaffirms that they, they do not need to move over to the Netflix model. I really have enjoyed this time to like mm-hmm. consume each episode without the pressure of blowing through them to, so that I don't get hit with spoilers from people that have taken the time to, to just sit down and blast through all eight episodes. I even get worried waking up on a Friday morning and like, am I going to get spoiled this morning? Because <laughs> yeah. the people that stayed up till 3 a.m. or whatever to watch it, um, I'm like, oh, I got to watch it on my way to work or like as I'm getting ready for work this morning. Hey, that's usually you guys for me. Or y'all like, has everyone seen it yet? I'm like, no, I'm at work. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, that's been my, uh, my Friday morning. I don't know what I'm going to do with my Friday mornings anymore after next week. Cause <laughs> I like, or I have an 18 month old for those that, that don't uh, those of you who I haven't met her uh, don't know me and she gets up early and so I have to like roll the clock back even further to go watch the Mandalorian and normally I have a lot of trouble like fighting the the snooze button but Friday mornings come and I like bolt out of bed and, like, <laughs> all the way downstairs it's Mando time <laughs> <laughs> my wife's like you have no trouble getting up when Star Wars is in the equation. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, okay. that's what she that's what she needs to do now. Like you're just like, huh? huh. She'd be like, new Mando episodes up. And you're like, huh? What? And I'm like, oh, man, it's a Saturday. But I like I take a step back with all of this. And ten years ago, I, you know, I remember well, almost ten years ago, I remember sitting at Celebration Five down in Orlando, like the first celebration I'd ever gone to, and the biggest news in the Star Wars universe was. Uh, a new season of Clone Wars, which we were on like season four or five at that point. Uh, and then 
George Lucas did like a panel about the Blu-ray release. And that was what people lined up and freaked out about. If you told me back then that 10 years from that point, I would be waking up on a Friday morning to new Star Wars every week. I had told you you're a dirty time traveling liar. <laughs> but like, it's just awesome. I like it. It's a cherry on top that it's a really good show that I enjoy. But like, that's just phenomenal that like by you know, midday Friday, the Star Wars universe is like in terms of fandom is kind of come together and is reveling in, you know, the new story that we've just been hit with. And we know that the Cassian series is coming and the Kenobi series is coming. More clones. Yeah. So I hope that they can get to a cadence where like, as one of these ends, their season ends, the next one starts. And then, so there's kind of like this, you're never without it. You know, so like yeah, you, you finish the season two of Mandalorian, then you start season one of Kenobi or, you know, and and then it kind of gets to this point where there's kind of always something new on the TV side of things. And I mean, there's got to be new animation coming too. they're not going to those yeah. animated shows have been too successful. Um, you know, resistance is ending. We have one more season of Clone Wars and then there's got to be something else on the horizon. I totally agree with you. And I think the. Um, you're going to have that because it's a much more cost-effective option that still drives viewership and subscriptions. Like I, you know, I I keep forgetting that we're getting a new season of Clone Wars in you know what another February, couple yeah. months, February yeah. end of January, something like that. And so I think it they're not doing this, but it, you know they'd be crazy to not have Star Wars and new new uh, content be a tentpole in the Disney plus model. And I, you know, I've seen a couple articles that are like, Oh, you know, Disney plus is in trouble because the Mandalorian is ending so quickly. And what other content do they have? And I'm like, well, you know, (laughs) the service has been up and running for a month and they've got the number one show worldwide right now. That is like captured the, the sort of like zeitgeist that is unlike anything I remember. So mm-hmm. far in Star Wars, I you know. Well, yeah, I mean, they, you know, they announced a couple of weeks ago that it was, it had surpassed uh, Stranger Things as the number one streamed show um, of all that's time. Crazy. So that's crazy. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's the thing is that these people, even if people drop, um, you know, in the meantime, they'll be back. You know, and they'll come crawling back. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you have to imagine there's so much being green lit right now because yeah. of the success of the Mandalorian. Oh, totally. There's so many things that they had in production. They're like, yep, let's go forward with it. You know, this is, you know, the Star Wars live action thing works. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And I think, you know, Favreau's got, and Filoni for that matter, have got the ability to do whatever they want project wise, which is awesome. Because I think they've, Filoni's long proven himself to be a great Star Wars storyteller. But I think Favreau, in in a really short time, has proven himself that he gets it. Yeah. And I think it like seeing some of these directors get get a chance to spread their wings. Like Deborah Chow, like bl- give her a movie, give her a trilogy right now. Yeah, and I'd be all for it. Yeah, I've I'd never heard of her name before they mentioned that she would be directing this, and now I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm sold. Like sign me up, whatever she's gonna do, I'm I'm good with it. Like I trust that she can make good Star Wars. Does Disney Plus have another? Because I know they've announced a number of shows, including Marvel live action stuff that's gonna be on Disney Plus. 
and I, I get the, you know, kind of people saying, well, now that Mandalorian's ending, you know, people are going to drop their subscriptions. Do they have something else coming soon that people would stick around for, even if it's Marvel related? I'll or is honest, this kind of... I haven't paid enough attention to the Marvel shows. I was just kind of okay. like, eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm not that interested in them either, but yeah. I know there's probably, there's got to be an audience out there for them. And there's probably people that are as big... Right, Marvel as we are into Star Wars, they're only subscribing for the new shows. Right, for so sure. Yeah, one of those I'm, coming out. Um, I th- I think it's later. I think there's going to be a little bit of a gap. I may be wrong, but I, I think there is a little bit of a gap. Um, so I, I don't know. But also, I I know that they were kind of smart in doing their, you know, like sign up for a whole year type of stuff. So they may not receive as many drops as what they might have otherwise. Yeah, and what I'm seeing is Falcon and the Winter Soldier is going to be first up, but that's not till late next year. It's going to be six episodes. And then that'll be followed by WandaVision in 2021, Loki in 2021, and then this What If show uh, along with Hawkeye. So they're go- I, it's going to be... I, if the Marvel content's going to be, I think, similar to Star Wars, where it's going to take them some time to get the production up to speed. It was like that on Netflix too. I it, yeah. They once they got the cadence down, like you said, Aaron. It we all got conditioned very quickly. Like you know, October or I guess now summertime is uh, Stranger Things, and you get used to your your slate of shows across the year. So I think it'll take a little bit of time to get there. But hopefully, the Clone Wars word will spread and excitement will spread about that. And not only will you have existing clone wars fans that are coming back to to uh you know look forward to the end of the the whole series but you're going to have folks that are new star wars fans that are saying hey well let me go check out the back catalog of these shows because this sounds like a really great uh you know series i like the mandalorian let me try this clone wars thing out and get caught up to speed on it that should be their promotional push right now is as Mandalorian's ending, it's like there's all this other Star Wars content that you may not, maybe maybe have never seen before, you know, and start putting ads out for things like Clone Wars and Rebels, mm-hmm. you know, kind of trying to get people to start taking in that content while they're waiting for the next thing to drop. Or Freemaker Adventures. Freemaker Adventures, <laughs> yeah. so, right, which is an amazing show, but not that many people have discovered it. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they should put out like this is your homework time. Go catch up. <laughs> <laughs> right. we've we've intentionally gifted you these months yeah. did you like blurgs check them out in clone wars <laughs> or blurg episode guys <laughs> caravan of courage is that, i don't think those are on there they should Nobody be should be <laughs> <laughs> i mean should they no um so i mean i just wanted to kind of mention a couple things that we we passed over before we we finish up um something that i really enjoyed was seeing the whole um, reprogramming of a droid. That to me, that was very fun. Um, that they made it because I guess because you always seem like, oh, a droid. Like, how does a droid really die? You know, like you you can you put them back together and then they just kind of start going from there. But I like that they kind of showed like, oh no, they basically have to learn how to do everything again. You know, like, you know, it was almost like, like going through rehab or something, you know, like where he's having to, to learn to walk again and stuff like that. I, I personally really enjoyed that. 
it's definitely an interesting take on it because I did kind of at that part was kind of like, hmm, like tilt my head a little bit. Like you would think it being a machine with programming that it would just kind of be like, all right, walk, you know, pick that thing up. You know, that's just something it kind of knows how to do because that's what the machine was built to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just kind of an on-off switch versus like it's not a, you know, bio- biologic-based, you know, thing of flesh and blood that kind of has to build up muscles and kind of figure out how things work. So I thought that was a little weird, um, but maybe that's just an indication of how much he had to strip away mm-hmm. uh, in order to kind of rebuild this guy. So I I went with it, but I did think it was a little odd. I just like the sequence of him continually crushing the teacup until he can finally figure out how to hold it without a complete death grip. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, now the programming's right. Right, right. And uh, which is, yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, it it sort of shows that, um, you know, where he's, he's... going from what he used to be to where he is now, you know, where he was only, his whole point was to only destroy, and now it's to serve tea. They took a lot of time to show it. You know, that could have been just a, a line where mm-hmm. he's like, oh, I found this droid and rebuilt him, and that's it. So the fact that they spent a lot of time to really show that that process um, makes me think there's a lot more for IG-11 to do that they wouldn't have spent that much time on kind of reintroducing the character only to have him serve tea and then that's it you know i think he's going to be having an important role to play yeah well i mean that was actually something i was talking to uh you know had jonah marie on uh last week you know and i mentioned that because i said then i'm like well you know i guess he's he's not coming back but i was just surprised because he's actually you know when you go on the the disney plus page you see mandalorian in the middle cara dune on the side and then ig11 on the other side so that and you know indicates to me oh hey these are your three main players but with everything we had to that or, or up to this point i was like that doesn't make sense but now i'm thinking yeah he's probably going to be um you know more of a main character as you know we roll into season two and beyond i hope so because i was similarly crushed when uh, I I thought he was gone forever. I I even held off on trying to find his action figure because I was like, well, if that's all we got of him, I, <laughs> I had just gotten his pop, his Funko Pop, and I had it on my desk, sitting next to my uh, Last Jedi crate version of Luke. And you know, those two guys are sitting next to each other. I'm like, yep, IG Eleven's gonna be my new favorite character. <laughs> you know, and then they took him out, and I'm like, I'm not buying the black series. <laughs> yeah, you, like downgrade him to a drawer. <laughs> yeah, I, I held out on him too for like two seconds. I pretty much got him right away. Um, <laughs> now, somebody else that we definitely won't see coming back is the the client. Uh, were you guys surprised by that? Or did you see that coming? I was surprised that the whole bar got gunned down. It makes sense from a storytelling standpoint because Uh I don't think you can have two Imperial figureheads like that kind of occupying the space. One starts to take away from the other. And... I think it was an effective bit of storytelling because it was it caught me by surprise and they had certainly built the client up as like the baddest dude on the planet 
mm-hmm. to an extent. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, here comes Moff Gideon, even more badass. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, it was a good juxtaposition for me. Yeah, and then we definitely saw this was the, uh, you know, back they talked at... Uh, uh, celebration about how they had the all the five of first have to show up and I'm like oh okay this is why this is why they needed so many <laughs> <laughs> that has to be cool for the folks that were in it to finally see their episode and like yeah. that's me I don't know that looks like my armor that's that's just a really cool thing Though they think... could have easily just spent the money and fabricated all that armor or, or pulled it out of the archives somewhere from Rogue One, say, and, and hire a bunch of extras. But I, that was one of my favorite parts of Celebration was seeing that reveal. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 was something I, I definitely, as a, a 501st member, you know, something that I've been looking forward to. And then seeing it, it's like, oh, sweet, here we are. <laughs> You know, and I, I thought it was it was fun, and it definitely, you know, seeing them all there instead of like you know digital representations or whatever. I don't. It just it was a really cool moment for the show. Um, I just I don't know. I was so shocked to see the the client get gunned because I was like, what? That's because I'm th- I'm like, who who would do this? Because like I wouldn't like I was thinking it wouldn't be Gideon. Like why would he? Um, kill? but I'm like, no, I guess. Is he on there? Like, what's going on? I don't understand, you know? Um, it just, it completely confused me as to, like, okay, what's the the end goal here? Um, and then I also was thinking, you know, it reminded me of the, uh, the season finale of Breaking Bad, which, of course, um, you know, uh, oh, gosh, uh, Carlo Esposito um, was in, uh, you know, the that end where... Uh, Gosh, I can't even think of his name now. Um, Walter White. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking of his other name, but then I couldn't produce it either. Sorry, it's been a long day. <laughs> uh, but point being, you know, where he has the the machine gun, you know, firing onto everybody there at the end, and it just goes and goes and goes. And I was like, is that a similar thing? Like, is, is somebody set something up and they're just like firing constantly? But no, it was an entire squad of death troopers. I love the use of death troopers. That's a cool mm-hmm. a cool thing to add because we haven't seen them in a ton of stuff. I know they've sprinkled them in here and there, but it's always cool to see kind of that next level elite trooper be involved. Um, I was really surprised by the client's death, it, but it completely makes sense. Like Thomas said, as you know, they as the season's coming to an end, they're going to up the stakes on kind of who the bad guys are, and I think that's kind of been you know, even if you're watching, like I remember in Rebels when the Inquisitor went out you know, only to bring, you know, for Vader to, to, you know, come. So it's like, they got to take this guy out who seemed like, you know, at the time seemed like a pretty intimidating character, but now it's like, Oh, look at this. We've, we've taken it up a few notches. This next guy, you know, Gideon shows up that dude just, you know, his, his guys all had shiny armor. You know, he seemed way more legit right off the bat. Um, and he had a cool tie fighter. So, you know, we're already, (laughs) the game has, the game has already gotten better. Was he wearing a cape? He did have a magnificent cape. Yeah, there you go. That's how you know don't mess with him. (laughs) If they have a cape, it's not going to be good. Like, like, you know how, uh, Grand Moff Tarkin, we all should have known that he was going to go out so quickly? Wasn't wearing a cape. (laughs) So. Your, your cape level 
your your cape game is directly proportional to your badassery. Yeah. Which is, as everyone should know, my favorite character is Lando Calrissian. So. <laughs> All right. I so you're gonna say Orson Krennic? No, no. I did. Lo- Krennic was my favorite <laughs> character in Rogue One, uh, for sure. I I thought that was definitely like the most interesting character in that movie. Um, but then again, maybe it was just the cape. <laughs> Who knows? So, do you guys have any sort of thoughts on on where you see? the next episode going like what what uh what to expect or anything that you're kind of where where you're left pondering at the moment i i feel like they're going to set up you know season 2 with i'm really curious to see what they're going to do with baby yoda getting taken mm-hmm. you know i i hope that they leave it unresolved in that you know Mandalorian tries to get him back but can't and season two kind of starts with him trying to chase them down or trying to figure out how to locate baby Yoda and that's kind of the the driving force for the second season um I also hope that there's some sort of payoff from the mystery of the character on Tatooine even like if you said like Michael you said kind of a second reveal where they still leave us hanging but they kind of reveal who it is but then leave it at that um, and then kind of set up that mystery or that, you know, kind of foil or villain or whoever it ends up being to be a, a bigger part of season two. Yeah. I, as much as it pains me to say, I don't expect and I really don't hope that he gets Baby Yoda back. That would be a little too convenient to, to tie that up. Um, from a story perspective, He's certainly not equipped to deal with that level of imperial presence there. I mean, they they barely survived that squad of death troopers. And really, the only backup that they have that we know of is IG-11. I don't know about whether there are any other bounty hunters that would come to their aid there. But the certainly the Mandalorian covert is likely gone uh, from the planet at that point. And I have a feeling they're going to they're gonna have to chase this Moff Gideon wherever. And I like the, the possibility of next season, this being, uh, you know, sort of a rabbit that he's chasing and, and hopefully us getting a bigger look at what the galaxy post OT looks like. Well, do you think the, the only thing that I wonder with that, um, cause you know, that, that was kind of where my head was at as well. But the only thing that I'm wondering is, you know, they they definitely made it clear that um, Gideon wanted the uh, wanted Baby Yoda dead. You know, um, he was the one who um, had told uh, you know the client to tell um, Pershing. You know, it was like like just hurry up and get it, you know do what you got to do, and he's like dispose of it. You know, so that that's my only thing is it's like would if if he's you know, if he's not interested in, in keeping Baby Yoda alive, do we have a whole season to to chase him around? And there's there's definitely different factions. You know, obviously you have Gideon, and then you had the client who had you know they seemed like they were working together because they were you know on that same phone call. But obviously Gideon didn't care much about you know not you know he just took out the client and all of his all of his men and. The client had that doctor guy with him who, you know, seemed to be re- involved in, you know, wanting to keep 
Baby Yoda alive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's kind of like, okay, there's different factions here that have different um, desires around what they're going to do with this character. And so why does Gideon want him dead versus why did, you know, this other doctor guy want him to be alive? There's so much mystery around what does this character mean? You know, obviously he's valuable in some way and he's a force sensitive character, but, you know, are there people in the empire that are, that care about that? Or they just see it as a threat and say, Hey, there's a force sensitive character out there. We know what those force sensitive characters can do to us. Let's just get rid of them. Or do we want to use them to our advantage? Right. And, uh, you know, another thing, just pulling back, because I I totally forgot about this, you know, they were talking about um, and they were throwing these terms out so fast. I was like, I don't know. I'll I'll just I'll just ask uh, Aaron and Thomas, like they may know better than me. But, you know, when he was talking about saying like, oh, I think he's a strand cast. Mm. And they were, and then it said something, you know, he called uh, Kara something. And like, I assumed maybe he was talking about clones or something like that. Uh, the term we're, strand we're cast Quill? definitely sounds like a made up word for creating something, you know, creating something like a cast in, you know, you create something in a cast. So the strand of DNA cast. So it's you know it's the biological creation of a character or of a of a thing that could be a clone. So yeah, that's an interesting term. I'm not familiar with it. I don't know if it's been used in Star Wars before. It looks like Thomas might be looking it up. Yeah, I'm not familiar with. This is why I watch this show in the the second and third time I, I watch it <laughs> with subtitles on. Yeah, yeah. So, so I can see what the hell they're like, how they're saying things. Uh, I think I watched. The Force Awakens, like a hundred times, the the scene where the X wings come up over the water on Takodana, and every time I thought Poe says, "Don't let those thugs scare you," and then I watch it one time with subtitles on, and it says, "Don't let those dogs scare you," and I was like, "Where have I been living? <laughs> <laughs> what happened?" Yeah. So I I don't I didn't recognize the term. It it sounds very Star Wars. Um, I don't. Re- I'm thinking about all the times we've seen Kaminoans in their cloning stuff, and I, I don't recall them using anything like that. But yeah, yeah. I'm sure Alex has a video explaining <laughs> all of this already. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> kind of uh, flesh it out for us. Like I, said, I, I, I love all these little bits, you know, to where I'm like, is this new or is this, you know, something that's just been hidden away? Um, you know, and, and playing that little Where's Waldo every week. But uh, I appreciate you guys coming on. Do you want to plug your stuff for everybody? Sure. Um, yeah, so I do a couple podcasts, Star Wars Bookworms, which is a podcast all about Star Wars literature. Uh, we've recently done a couple fun interviews with some of the authors um so check that out for sure i do that podcast with Teresa delgado and um i do a i'm trying to think like keep this star wars related because i do some non-star wars podcasts but um i do a, a podcast i did with jonah marie macias who was on the last episode of this show uh where we did episode reviews of all the freemaker adventures episodes so if you're curious to uh go check out freemaker adventures on <laughs> disney plus and then you can check out our podcast which is called star scavengers and I write and blog or 
blog and podcast, I should say, for the legal geeks. It's um, it, not just Star Wars on the website, on the blog, but the idea is taking pop culture, so MCU, Star Wars, Star Trek, whatever your flavor, and looking at legal issues in there. So, for example, uh, like who's the legal owner of the Millennium Falcon as it's been passed along from movie <laughs> to movie. We did at San Diego Comic-Con in 2018, we put on a mock, mock court-martial of Poe Dameron. That was a lot of fun. Uh, so that the blog is really cool. I've done several. We've got a lot of Mandalorian content up there. I wrote one recently about whether the Mandalorians would qualify for refugee status. And another one, uh, going back to the second episode, I think, whether the uh, whether Mando was justified in disintegrating uh, all the Jawas to protect his ship. <laughs> so that's the kind of fl- – and they're – like the way I write them at least, I, I only do Star Wars stuff in the blog. They're all like bite size. You can read them on your phone while you're taking a break or something. It, it's you know five, ten-minute read at, at absolute most. And then the podcast, right now we're doing – uh, episodic reviews, not really reviews of The Mandalorian, because we're not just like breaking down the show, but we're breaking down legal issue- issues in the show. So, like for this episode, is it child endangerment to let your <laughs> baby Yoda take the wheel of your spacecraft? That's right. We didn't even talk about that. <laughs> he cannot yeah, fly. <laughs> you know, does the does the client have the legal ability to declare martial law there on Navarro? Uh, and, and sort of take things over. So we kind of take a, a funny look at stuff like that mm-hmm. through a legal lens. But it's uh, www.thelegalgeeks.com. And then you can interact with me on Twitter at Thomas L. Harper. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of stuff between this episode of The Mandalorian and then Rise of Skywalker tomorrow night. Busy, busy. Yeah. I'll be taking notes like, oh, what are you <laughs> like, trying to get characters and facts? Like, no, I'm, I'm like writing down legal issues. <laughs> Is the first order a hostile work environment? I don't know. I have to go. I have to go research. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I appreciate you guys uh, coming on. That's uh, been the show for this week. Uh, If anyone like to reach out to us, you can just send us an email to uh, themandocast at gmail dot com or find us on Twitter at themandocast. Uh, So thank you for listening, and remember subscribe and leave us a review.